C.S. Lewis said, why else would individuals be created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? Reading Lewis, thinking, what a great quote. All people are different. Barb and I are the parents of five kids, and can I tell you something? Five kids that grew up in the same house with the same parents that came out of the same gene pool that eats the same food. Wow, are they wired differently. Some of them have long fuses and some have short fuses and some have no fuses. Anybody got, they got that going on in your gene pool over there? And you look and you go, we got five people, but they're all so different. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, as well as Ephesians chapter 4 screams that we're different. If you contemplate those uh, passages, it's, it's dealing with the uh, variety of spiritual gifts that God has endowed to certain uh, people in the body of Christ. And we're all different. We all have different gifts, all have different uniquenesses. Romans 12, 4 through 6, I want you to see this. Just as our bodies, human bodies, have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with the body of Christ. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given different gifts for doing certain things well. You, you get that? We are a human body. When we look at ourselves, I mean, there's fingers, and there's toes, and there's eyes, and there's ears, and our heads are shaped differently, and... But when we look, every body part has a, a function. And, and when I had shoulder surgery, and I remember being locked up and being in this brace for like three weeks, and when he finally allowed me to take my arm out of the brace and the scar tissue and the adhesions, and I'll never forget just the pain. Even to this day, when I go through a drive through at a bank, I have to take my left hand and put it on my right elbow and pull it across because when he tightened up my arm, it doesn't function the way it used to. But you know what I came to realize when I had that surgery? Man, I really need that shoulder for everything to work because I was so right-handed dominant. I'm like, how do you shave left-handed and how do you brush your teeth left-handed? And I mean, I'm, I've got like blood dripping out of my gums and I'm like, man, I really could benefit from that right shoulder. But we're members of the body of Christ, and we're all different, and we need the members to function together. Listen to what John Ortberg said in his book, The Me I Want to Be. He said, because you've been created by God as a unique person, his plan to grow you will not look the same as his plan to grow anyone else. What would grow an oak tree would drown a cactus? What would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. All of those entities need light, food, air, water, but in different amounts and different conditions. The key is not treating every creature alike, and it's finding the unique conditions that help that creature grow best. Now, keep that in mind as a backdrop as we move into this. So our individual uniqueness means we will all experience God's presence 
and we will all learn to relate with him and to him in different ways. This is important to know. And so people do the personality profiles and disc, and people have gone through Trent and Smalley's book, are you a seal, or are you an otter, are you a golden retriever, etc. And you get these different kind of thought processes going on, right? But when you start to look at how has God wired you, what is some of the uniqueness that he's poured into your DNA? So I want to talk today about understanding your spiritual pathway. Now here's a working definition for you. A spiritual pathway is how we most naturally sense God's presence and experience spiritual growth. There are certain things naturally in your DNA that God has put there that help you kind of uh, gel with God and identify with God. Last week I said spiritual growth happens when we increase our capacity to experience the presence of God. If I'm going to grow spiritually, then it would probably be wise to know what is that spiritual pathway or what are those few spiritual pathways that I seem to connect and experience God's presence the most in. Now, there's different ones. Now, we all have at least one pathway that makes sense to us naturally. There's also certain pathways when you start to study them that are very unnatural and foreign for you. It's that way with every person in this room. Certain uh, pathways are going to resonate with you, and when you start to hear them, you'll go, yeah, yeah, that's me. But you've got to be careful. Listen, as I get into this teaching, you've got to be careful because there's advantages and disadvantages. There's a pros and cons. And there's some things that uh, we start to use as excuses not to really uh, embrace God in certain areas or in other areas than just what we feel safe in. Okay, make sense? All right, so here we go. So there's the intellectual pathway. The intellectual pathway is interesting. People on the intellectual pathway seem to draw closer to God as they learn more about him. I love the intellectual pathway. That's part of my wiring. Because what ends up happening here is ideas and concepts and truth and different things just hit me. Uh, the, The love to study scripture, to memorize scripture. People start talking theology. And I'm like, yes, I love theology. I want to learn theology. Well, we're going to talk hermeneutics or homiletics, and we're going to talk eschatology and apologetics. And I mean, most of those terms right there, I would have to explain them. You're like, are you serious? How boring. I mean, why, why would anybody want to get into that? I mean, why would you want to study Calvinism versus Arminianism and understand the arguments? But there's people on the intellectual pathway KO's got some of that. My buddy Jim Schroll, who's one of our elders, he's on a different page when it comes to the intellectual pathway. A person on the intellectual pathway, when you go to church, Alan, you'll get this one as well, Abdike. A lot of people on the intellectual pathway will tolerate the singing, but they're like, let's go. That's enough. Let's get to the meat of the word. Does anybody identify with that? And, and then there's some people that are like, man, I just want this. Y'all, y'all finish up. Nick, I mean, I love you, brother, but we've got to get to the meat. And a lot of people that are wired with this intellectual pathway kind of approach, they struggle with small groups at times when people sit around and just start sharing opinions. They're like, opinions are a diamond does, and let's get to the truth. What are we really talking about? And, 
In Dallas, we laugh and we will nod at this stuff, but that's how we're wired. And so the road to your heart usually goes through your head. And I get that because sometimes, most of the time, I'm not the most sensitive, compassionate in the moment because I'm trying to figure out, well, hold on, what's the facts here? What's the truth here? And it can hinder ministry with other people. Now, if you're an intellectual pathway person, you hear God best when you're learning. You love to saturate your mind in books and deep thoughts and sound teaching. When your mind is growing, you feel fully alive. And some of your most transforming moments of worship, Cherie, you get this one too, I know, is when you're in the learning mode. And when you face challenges, if you're an intellectual, you get into the deep solving problematic, what do I need to do to take care of this, right? This is where we're at. So when you study scripture, one dude kind of just jumps off the pages as an intellectual. It was the apostle Paul. Paul studied under Gamaliel. I mean, he writes all this cool theology and doctrine for us. He writes the majority of the New Testament as we read it. And when you start to look at him, you're going, man, the intellectual people love studying the epistles. But the danger of this pathway is you can become so headstrong that there's no heart involved in it. Dallas Willard made this observation. He said, it is extremely difficult to be right and not to hurt somebody with it. And Barb's lived with me for 25 plus years. And it's like, no, if I'm right, guess what that implies? You're wrong. And when you have these intellectual, I've got the truth right statement, you can end up hurting other people. Intellectuals say things like, I feel closest to God when my mind is fully engaged. Give me a stimulating book to read. I mean, I had a prof in college, man, and he's like, you know, I'm studying right now and contemplating ethics. I mean, for some of you guys, you want to go to the gym or go to the, a ball game over the weekend, but there's nothing more enjoyable for me than sitting at the fire for six hours on a Saturday afternoon reading about ethics. And I'm looking at this guy going, dude, you have lost your stinking mind. But intellectual will say, you know, my most intimate times is when I'm studying or when I'm researching. Now, that's a pathway that some of us really embrace God on. How many intellectual pathway people do we have in here right now? Do you, yeah, Rachel, you would, you would be there. Intellectual pathway. Here's another one. Relational pathway. You sense God's presence when you're involved in relationship with others. Small group and doing life in a small community or experiencing community in a, in a smaller group. Man, that's where you just thrive. I mean, your key spiritual moments is where God used somebody else in a small group to share something with you that either convicted you of sin or encouraged you that you can persevere. And so a lot of people on the relational pathway hear God oftentimes in a strong way through other people. And so you find this deep sense of community and you'll run to passages and highlight passages where it says, do not forsake assembling with other people. And God has called us to Quinonia and fellowship. And it's about fellowship. People, that, that, that's what a lot of those people will highlight and underscore and memorize. The, the, the intellectual dude, he's over there saying, Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? We've got to get to truth. All scriptures inspired by God. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. And so we get there and we start to ponder 
our different pathways. Peter was a very relational person. He came to Jesus with others. He was part of an inner circle along with James and John. After the crucifixion, he gathered the other disciples together and says, boys, let's, let's go fishing. Relational. People on the pathway, man, they are more into a conversation than they are a book. But relational types have two dangers that they have to work through. Hear me out on this. Two dangers. One, it's being superficial. You spread yourself so thin in relationship with other people that nobody really knows you. You don't even know you because you're spread so thin. Or number two, you become so relationally dependent that the opinion of other people start to drive how you do life. So you become a pleaser in it. Relational people say, man, I feel God's presence more when I'm praying and communing with other people. So Sunday morning is a must and small groups are a must for relational people. They can't miss it. I would rather do a Bible study with others than do it by myself. I thrive on discussions that come out of these small groups. It's hard for me to have solitude devotional time. I I get there and I start to read, man, and my mind wonders, yeah, because you're thinking about a phone call or a text or somebody you need to call and what your party is going to be later. And you would say, man, when I'm with other people, I really feel like God spurs me on. How many people would really embrace the relational pathway? Yeah, Michelle, you got the relational pathway. Then you've got the serving pathway. And Phoebe and Cheryl, I I, I think of you guys and I'm like, man, y'all are so strong on the serving pathway. God's presence is most tangible when you're involved in helping other people. I've looked at Phoebe who oversees our kitchen at times and I said, Phoebe, you you bring so much value to what's going on here. Well, I just, I, I can never serve enough to just thank God for our what he's done in my life, right? And I hear you say things like that. And, and she, will, she will resonate with Jesus' statement when he said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. And, and I guarantee you, if you see her Bible, she's going to have more things highlighted like that, her insurable trailer. And, and, and people that have this serving pathway heart, and there's a ton more, but, but when you're sitting around and there's nothing for you to do, you start to feel uncomfortable. So you're looking to see where can I make coffee and where can I help set up chairs and what can I do to add value because I've got to serve. I'll go over there. There's diapers that need to be changed. I'm all into it. But the danger is to think that you can only experience the presence of God when you're serving. Mother Teresa said the primary reason she was so involved in serving was not that it was something she was supposed to do, but that it brought her great joy. April, you're off the chart here. And I know people, when I hang out with them, I'm like, she's going to serve. She's going to encourage. She's going she's to bless. And it's not that you can't just come in and sit down and chill, but I can't just come and sit down and chill very long. I got to get my hands involved. So people that have this strong gift of serving, you've got to be involved in community somewhere. And, and you've, got to be, you've got to be in a place where you see that there's some needs that be, need to be met because you've got to be involved in that. And if you get over there with that intellectual and he's talking about how many books he's read, you're going to sit there and scratch your head going, I've got to get away from this person. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So servers and caregivers, they feel closest to God when they're serving, when they're doing volunteer work. They really uh, experience God's presence when they're breaking out that meal and putting that meal. There's a lot of people that have this serving pathway. 
A lot of people, Pat Horner loves to serve. She's going to make food. She's going to take care of people. She's going to do this. That's, that's a strong pathway for her. And, and it's like, I feel God's joy when I'm helping other people. Makes sense. How many people in this room are on the serving pathway? Well, based on my vocal sister right here, she's got them all down this morning. So, but, but here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. You've got to know your pathway. Uh, then you've got the worship path, pathway. Check this one out. People identify with a psalmist who said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so those verses over there where it says, come to God with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And you're like, yes, I connect with the Lord during worship. Because you have this incredible need for expression and celebration. And something inside of you feels that praise and adoration has got to be given a voice. So, Lisa, you love to praise. You love to worship. Not because you're married to a worship pastor, but I, I, I'm with you. And I'm like, that girl loves to worship. And so, when you start to embrace this pathway, you go, some of my most transforming moments were at some type of a worship venue. I remember getting so ghosted in Fort Wayne, Indiana at a Phil Driscoll concert. And I'm sitting there going, how powerful was that? Terry Clark sitting down at the piano singing I Am Yours and Dear Lord and these songs that Terry had written. And I'm like, ah. we did a retreat for third day years ago. Barb and I went away when their album Come Together was about to be released. And uh, that Sunday morning we got up and one of them had an acoustic, one had a tambourine, and they turned like a guitar case over backwards. And so it was straight acoustic. And Mac and the whole band and all of us started worshiping, unplugged, nothing written out, just worshiping. And I'm like, I'll never forget some of those transforming worshiping moments. People that are on the worship pathway, I know who you are because you go to concerts all the time. I mean, seriously, it's like, hey, dude, did you see Hillsong's coming to town? I'm like, no. Did you see Jesus Culture's coming to town? I've already got tickets for this one and that one. And, and people love to go to these places because they want to worship. Psalm 73 is a great text. The psalmist is moaning and groaning about how all these bad breaks are coming his way. And he's sitting there just ticked off that the wicked seem to be uh, getting all these breaks and, 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 and benefits. But he's like, man, it sucks. I've been keeping my nose clean and it seems like it's not paying off. But it's for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I pondered all of this, it was troublesome to my sight until I came into the sanctuary of the Lord. I had to get my worship back on. I had to get my perspective back right. I, I, I love the worship pathway. And, and, and when I got back on that, the psalmist said, yeah. So, so the people that are big time worshipers here, you're sitting there right now going, if you would hurry up and get done, we could get back into some worship. <laughs> That's the truth though. I mean, I'm talking to Benji and, and uh, Corey Johnson the other day that were there, we were just breaking down some of this and Benji looks at me, my son, and says, no offense, dad, but I really enjoy the worship most. But he's telling me the pathway that where he really feels like really connected with God. And uh, again, if you're sitting there, that's where Nick and these guys are up here playing and Lisa's singing and you're going, 
Sing that again. Sing that again. And so you're okay with the old church stuff of 14 stanzas of just as I am because you wanted to sing it again anyway, right? But there's a few cautions here, and I want you to hear these. Because I see people that come out of a, a charismatic kind of flavored background. And here, here, here's, a, here's a warning I would give you. Don't judge people who are not as outwardly expressive as you are. Because there's some people that we meet that grew up in certain marinades that you never even lifted a finger, much less raised a hand. And some of you folk want to come in here, man, and dance like David did, man, with sackcloth and ashes. And others are sitting over there going, what's up? So if we're not careful, we start to judge others for not expressing themselves the way we do. Everybody don't dance. And I've seen some of y'all from a Pentecostal background. Some of y'all don't dance well, so y'all need to chill. I mean, as Gloria said, the rhythm is out to get you. It just ain't got you yet. I mean, so you also have to guard yourself against an experience-based spirituality that causes you to run from one worship high to the next. And I've seen people that, that, that is kind of where they live. The walking in the valley at times is a struggle because I'm looking for another mountain top experience. Well, reality is in the journey, God gives us a mountaintop experience occasionally, but we don't live on the mountain. A lot of our life is in the pain and the suffering and the struggle in the valley. So worshipers, they feel close to God when they're worshiping in song and giving adoration and a voice, okay? Uh, the worshipers in this room right now, I can tell you, you still, if, you, if you're old school, you've got 48 CDs sitting over there that you're going to play going down the road. The intellectual has got his podcast already set up because he's listening to what Robbie Zacharias had to say in his last debate. And so you feel connected going, man, 104.7 The Fish, man. They play my favorite song on there. The intellectual is over there wanting to listen to Hannity talk about what's going on with the political debate because he's intellectual. You follow me? And so we're all wired differently. And it's like, how do I best connect with God and sense God's presence? Then you have the activist pathway. And I think this is interesting. Uh, you, you have a level of just a high energy inside of you. I, I, I connect with this one. Uh, you connect with Jesus' statement where he said, zeal for your house will consume me. And if you get an activist and you get into a conversation about something going on, they love the fact that Jesus kicked butt and take names uh, in this scripture. And they'll go, well, one of my favorite passages is where Jesus goes into the temple and flips over the tables. So you're looking for a fight. You're looking for a cause. And you can get with people, and that's where they're at. They're like, they're, they're zeal junkies. They're adrenaline junkies. And they have a passion to act. Now, I got a lot of that in me. Challenges don't discourage you. They energize you. You thrive on opposition. When someone says, this can't be done, you smile and say, Watch me. Some of you sitting here right now, you're going, that's me. Dean Thompson, I don't know if you should be jumping off that bridge right there on the Georgia State line. Uh, watch me. Watch you. Matter of fact, video me. I'm not just going to jump. I'm going to do a backflip. 
And I hang out with Dean, and he's such an activist. Activists, prayer and action go together. Hi, Lord, you're telling us to take this mountain. Yes. And God, in the name of Jesus, I declare the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as we claim this mountain right now. And so they're wanting to take over things. You ever been around activists? I mean, they're looking for a cause to fight. And uh, you're triggered to depend on God the most when there's something of tension or battle about to happen. I mean, your prayer life oftentimes for the activists, when it's just the daily meditations and contemplations with the Lord, it's not there. But when there's a cause and there's a sickness and somebody's about to die, you're breaking out five quarts of oil and anointing in the name of Jesus. And you're quoting Lazarus was raised from the dead. And you got all this stuff working in you. And, and so you're an activist. And the cause doesn't have to be glamorous or even visible, but it's got to be something that calls you into battle. Now, one of the great activists in our church today is our brother, John Schmacker. You see John Schmacker? He will charge hell with a water pistol. And I guarantee you, if he wrote down his favorite verse, which is probably more of a saying, it would be, ready, shoot, aim. And so a lot of people have that ready, shoot, aim, and it's not ready, aim, shoot. But they're activists. And when you start to study this, you've got to realize that one of the cautions is that you can get so caught up in the cause that you can run over people in the process to carry out your agenda. I get the activist, okay? I get this dude. Big time. It's hard to be right and not hurt somebody with it. It's hard to have this cause that this is what we've got to do and not to step on people. So a person with an activist personality, uh, you've got to make sure that you spend a ton of a time in solitude with God to make sure that what you're feeling and sensing really is God's assignment and not just the impulse of the moment. There's different pathways. When you study scripture, there was a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Oh my God, was Nehemiah an activist. All of a sudden, man, Jerusalem has been embarded and it's being disassembled. And Nehemiah's like, we're going to rebuild the wall. We've got to take action. And Nehemiah gets a lot of ink. He even says in scripture, when I heard all that was going on, I prayed to God and said to my king. I'm like, I feel the emotion in Nehemiah. Yeah, I prayed, and this is what I said to God. We're not going to let that happen. Oh, 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 hold on, tap, tap the brakes. Peter had a lot of activists in him. When they came to arrest Jesus, he's like, this ain't going down. He takes out his stinking sword and cut, cuts Malchus's ear off, and he's like, you are not jacking with my king. I'll die for him. And he was an activist. Activists say things like, I feel close to God when I'm engaged in ministry at a fast pace. Activists say things like, well, you know, I'm a person of action. I thrive spiritually in challenging moments. I connect best with God when I'm serving him with every ounce of energy that I've got. So even when I played baseball, this came out of me big time. Hey, we're going to turn you into a closer, which meant I was going to throw one or just over one inning of a ball game. Why did you like that, Tim? 
because I'm an activist, I'm an adrenaline junkie, to come in there and just go hard for 15 or 18 pitches, I'm like, yes, let that other dude go out there and pace himself for 100 pitches. Just give me 15. That's all I want. Because you could give every ounce you had on every pitch. Does that make sense? And there's people when it comes to worship, you gravitate toward this activist pathway. Here's another great one. Think about it. The contemplative pathway. And there's a lot of people in this room that are more the contemplator. Uh, you love large blocks of interrupt, uh, uninterrupted time. If you could, like I said about Barbie, she's going to see Rachel, my daughter, this week. Our daughter. And she's going to see Rachel. And Rachel will be 24 next week. Baby Hannah is 14 today, so both of my little girls have October birthdays. So Barbara's like, I'm going to go see Rachel for her birthday. I'm like, great. I would love to, uh, I've got plenty of Delta miles. Let's cash it in. I want to drive. Drive to Dallas, Texas? Are you serious? You're going to drive all the way out there? Yeah, and she's got to stop set up in Jackson. But you know what I know about Barb? She's a contemplator, and she is going to worship. So she's going to have her music on Spotify or Pandora, whatever, and she's going to have these worship things going, and she's going to be cruising down the road, and guess who's going to bother her? Maybe an 18-wheeler occasionally that comes too close to her. And she's a contemplator. People that are contemplators, when you were a child, your parents probably used to say to you, you need to go out and play for a while. Because you sat there and you love to observe and you love to just reflect and contemplate. And uh, God is most alive for a contemplative person when all distractions are eliminated. See, the contemplative people, if a person walks in, you go, I saw that. If there's too much noise, you hear that. You're a contemplator, so it interferes with your processing. You don't want any distractions. So you can be in a room of 400 people. As long as there's not noise, you're good with it. But the activist has got to be making noise. They got to let everybody know we're here because we're going to take this mountain later on today. It's just the way we're wired. And so images and metaphors and pictures for the person, like photos, just thrills your heart. But if you get too busy or spend too much time hanging around too many people, you know what you say? I'm drained. I'm tapped out. I can't handle any more of this. I'm like, yeah. There's a difference in an activist and a contemplative person. If you call an activist and he says, I'll call you back. If you call a contemplative person and they say, I'll call you back. The activist means, I've got a cell phone, so as soon as I get in my truck, I'll call you back. The contemplator means, before I die, I'll call you back. <laughs> An activist has to get this stuff off his list. The contemplative person and John, the disciple that Jesus loved, that's what he calls himself. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was a contemplative person. And contemplative people are the ones that others go to because they, they demonstrate such poise and wisdom. And so I've seen this over the years. People will go to Barb and say, hey, can I talk to you? Because there's this calmness of contemplating poise and, and wisdom. And did you read my blog I wrote today? No, Barb, I'm in relationships. 
But Barb will sit there and get in the Word early in the morning, and I'll see her in there writing down thoughts. Lon, where's my man Lon? I saw Lon come in, and, and Lon is a contemplator. And so when you get a, a contemplative person, they're going to write, and they're going to reflect. Philip Yancey, one of my favorite writers, who's more of a melancholic-style contemplative person, I love reading Yancey because he just he contemplates. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you do that, Barb? Relational types, you hardly ever journal. And when you hear people say you need to journal, you'll write down like one thought. Went to the store today, and that's your journal for today. <laughs> the contemplative person, they're over here writing just tons of pages. The activist, they might not write in a journal, but they're going to find the contemplative type and say, I'll help you sell your journal. It's really good. <laughs> you see how we're wired differently, oh? And if we're not careful... If we're not careful, we only gravitate toward what we're like. The contemplative person says, I love to spend time in solitude. Relational person says, not too much of it. I have a large capacity for prayer and private worship. Some of my greatest prayer warriors in this room are people that are contemplative, Miss Sue. I sit there and contemplate. I'm like, yes, I have a large capacity for prayer. I'm a deep thinker. There's usually a lot going on inside of me. Yeah, when Barb and I would have conflict, I'm a gunslinger, let's talk about it right now. I mean, she's, in the past, I would get a five or six page letter because she wants to express herself. And she goes, you're the gunsmith over here and the gunslinger with words, but I've got to be able to write it. Okay, which meant I had to read it. <laughs> and I would much rather you just say it to me because then I can come back and say something. Because I'm going to show you why I was right. And then she was going to show me why I needed to sleep in the basement for a couple of days. No. Then you, then you have another one here uh, called the creation pathway. This is interesting to me. There's something life-giving and God-breathed about nature for the person who is more into creation. And this is huge right here. You have a passion to connect with God outdoors. There's something about the smell of outdoors. You go, yes, being outdoors energizes some people, right? I mean, my buddy Ned, their season is about to end. But for the last two years, Ned, who's the manager in Kansas City, he's like, i got to go to the All-Star game because he played in the World Series the last two years. The manager of whatever team plays in the World Series has to manage the All-Star game. i got to go to San Diego for the All-Star game. Now, most people would love to do that. You know what Ned was saying? I just want to get back down to my farm in Georgia and get on my tractor for three days and just get out there and chill. He's around people so much it drives him crazy. He's going to be around more people. So some people would look going, but you're getting to manage the All-Star game. And he's thinking, it's not nature, it's people, it's traffic. And so a person who is really nature-driven, if you get locked up inside for too long, you start losing your stinking mind. And my little dude, Caleb, he's got to be outside. Hannah can sit in there and read books and journal with Barb at times. Caleb has got to be doing something. He's got to be building a table, cutting down a tree, hanging his, uh, what do you call that thing? Eno, I knew I had a word to it, 
but it, it's crazy. And people that are on the creation pathway, you love the Grand Canyon. You love Niagara Falls. You love the ocean. You love God's creation. You're like, yes. But here's the caution. Here's the caution. I want you to get this because I think some people, some people struggle here. Uh, I don't really need church because I worship God with nature so well. The greatest beauty in all of God's creation are people. People is the only thing that's going to last forever. Not dogwoods, not dogwoods, not deer, not anything outside, not anything except people. And there's that tension that you have to fight to say, God has called me to be in community with other people. Now, nature lovers say things like, I feel close to God when I'm surrounded by the beauty of nature. My best devotional times have been sitting out in the woods with my journal and my Bible, and, it's, and I get that. The wonder of God's creation leaves me in such awe. We need to accept and embrace the unique way that God has wired us. Because listen, we're all different. How do you best connect with God? How do you best embrace the presence of Emmanuel? This whole teaching here today is to encourage you. Where do you best connect with God? Find other people. On my team, I've got to have other people that are stronger in other areas. I've got to have this because we've got to be able to work together and we want to make sure everybody is strong. Once you start to embrace your pathway, there's two things I would challenge you with. Number one, resist envying somebody else's pathway. And number two, resist judging somebody else's pathway. I read that book, The Same Kind of Different as Me. Just because someone else does something that's different, it's like, that's not good or bad, it's just different. If we're not careful, we start to either envy or judge that. So a person that's a contemplator could sit in a church and you could sit there and you could go, well, the activists are the ones always up in front of people. The activists are the communicators. The activists are the ones who are applauded as first level Christians. I'm a contemplative servant. I guess I'll always just be a second level Christian. And that's a lie that the enemy will use with people at times. Because whatever Back to Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12. What are some of those unique spiritual gifts that God's given me? But how do I connect best with Abba? How do I best connect with Abba? The guy that told me when I first got saved, well, if you really love Jesus, you'll sing in the choir. <laughs> are you serious? No. If you really love Jesus you'll sing in the choir. It'd be like me saying, if you really love Jesus, you would be on the street corner sharing the gospel with every person you meet. No, you're so relational. I need to get out there with you and learn to share my faith and build relationship. But that's where you thrive. And we're all so different in this room. And God is calling us, hey, 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 embrace me the way I've kind of wired you. My buddy Neil's like, hey, we're going to probably go fishing Saturday. Fishing Saturday. The thought of going out and fishing for six or eight hours, my son Benji, 
He'll leave with you at five. And if you're not coming back till midnight, he's in it. The thought of sitting out on a boat and doing all this, I'm like, for that long? And some of my creationist friends, man, they're like, oh, there's nothing like sitting in a tree stand and watching the sun arise. I'm like in 14 degree weather. Let me tell you, there's a lot more like that. Like being in my bed with a blanket pulled over me with coffee brewing in the next room. That sounds a lot. You hear me? But if we're not careful, we start to judge, condemn, and envy. And it's not good. God wants a relationship with you that is unlike any other creature on the planet. And God is going, I want you to know how I've wired you. So here's, here's what I want you to do. These notes, full nine pages of notes, are going to be on the website. Here's, here's what I would encourage you to do. For the intellectual, go buy Gary Thomas's book and read Ortberg. For the ones who are not into reading that much, just get my notes. There's nine pages. You can handle it, okay? I know you read the Daily Bread three times a week, and it's going to be a little more, but it's okay. I promise you, because you're relational, you can, you can handle it. But what I would encourage you to do is I put a link at the bottom where it's almost like a spiritual gift kind of link, where there's a link where you can go in and do kind of a spiritual pathway uh, evaluation to go, how am I best wired based on... Uh, just doing this little questionnaire. C.S. Lewis said, why else were individuals created but that God, loving all infinitely, should love each differently? If we all experience God in the same way and returned to God identical worship, the song of the church triumphant would have no symphony. It would be like an orchestra in which all the instruments played the same note. When you bring your instrument in tune with the Holy Spirit, the symphony becomes alive. You don't have to sound like me. You don't have to sound like Nick. You don't have... How has God wired you? Be connected to the body and let's thrive together so that we can declare the radiance of the glory of God to Loganville and beyond. I pray that today's word encouraged you and thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email info at thecrossloganville.org or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.